and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. All right, everyone. So we have a really interesting show for you today. We are going to be talking with an ER physician and a patient of his. The two of them had a shared near-death experience. Um, These two people are also going to be at the 2019 Afterlife Awareness Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. I have Dr. Jeffrey O'Driscoll and Jeffrey Olson uh, with me today, and they're going to be sharing this story, but I'd like to let you know a little bit about their background and how this came to be. So uh, Jeffrey Olson is the patient, and he is also a best-selling author who inspires audiences internationally with his intriguing story of perseverance and inner strength. After her a horrific automobile accident, taking the lives of his wife and youngest son, also inflicting multiple life-threatening injuries to Jeff, including the amputation of his left leg, he found the courage to survive over 18 surgeries to eventually heal both physically and emotionally, to thrive in his career and community contributions. Jeff has appeared on many national and international television and radio programs sharing his insights. Now, there was also an ER doctor in the room uh, when Olson came in after this accident, and that is Dr. Jeffrey O'Driscoll, who after 20 years of silence is recently coming out to share more of these experiences that he has had throughout his career, and he has recently written a book entitled Not Yet, Uh, written about and with Jeff Olson. So Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll grabs highlights from his 25 years in the emergency department and walks readers through a series of near-life experiences that open a window into a spiritual world. Leveraging the near-death experience of his friend Jeff Olson and the shared death experience he had with Jeff Olson's wife, Tamara, Olson's deceased wife, O'Driscoll invites willing souls beyond the veil and into a fuller, more inspired life. So I would like to welcome you both to the Path 11 podcast, and I'm so excited that you guys are here. Oh, thank you. It's exciting to be here. It's an honor to be on your show. Yes, and I'm going to tell our listeners the story um, that we were talking about offline before we got on, because as you, as everyone is listening, they are both called Jeffrey and one is Dr. Jeff and the other one I would just call Jeffrey. But as I was reading, not yet, I felt uh, a connection to Jeff Olson's wife, Tamara, and she had told me, oh, you can just call him Doc. Because I I didn't know how I was going to cue them each in. They're both called Jeff. And so we were laughing before we actually uh, went on live here because Jeff Olson had told me that that is his nickname for Dr. Jeff. And uh, I wouldn't know that, but his wife would. So (laughs) we got a good laugh at it that. I kind of feel spirit is already here with us. And I I love those types of stories. So um, I know you guys are going to be presenting at the Afterlife Awareness Conference. And you guys are going to be on Saturday, 9am, June 8th, which is going to be a part of the live stream that we're recording. And you guys are going to be sharing um, 
your story that you're going to share here today. And I would love for either of you to begin anywhere you'd like, because uh, we're just going to sit back, relax and enjoy the beauty of the two of you coming together through something that, you know, some people would consider a horrific event. um, But a lot is happening since then and bringing a lot of healing into this world. Oh, wow. Thank you. What do you want to do, Doc? Do you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll try in. Okay, that's awesome. And, and it is a horrific event, and yet with, with uh, a beautiful um, ending, if you will, and with so much insight throughout it. I, this is Jeff Olson speaking, and I'm the author of Knowing, which is basically a personal memoir um, around the accident, both beforehand, the accident, the near-death experiences, the shared death experiences, the out-of-body experiences, but also the, the life experience and, and what, what I've learned personally. It's a very personal memoir of um, not only what happened, but what I learned from that and then how I was able to move forward. But the, uh, the pinnacle of this is, is the automobile accident, wherein I had a near-death experience and had several other out-of-body or near-death experiences afterwards as I spent months in the hospital and had several surgeries. But I'm going to back up to the day of the accident, um, which was a single car rollover. We were on a family vacation. It was me, my wife, Tamara, and our two boys, young boys. I had a seven-year-old and then a 14-month-old. And to cut to the chase, and this is maybe the most difficult part of the story, I'm not sure what happened, but I believe I dozed off at the wheel. I think I just nodded off just for a second But as I did that, the car swerved to the right, I overcorrected to the left, and the car began to roll, not uh, off the road, but down the road, uh, causing a horrific automobile accident. I blacked out for most of that, but when the car came to a stop, I was completely conscious. And I heard my seven-year-old, Spencer, crying in the back seat, so I knew, oh, thank goodness he's okay. And I thought, I've got to get to him. But that's when I realized I could not move. I, I was pinned, and I, I couldn't even tell if it was to the seat or the floorboard. I was losing consciousness. I was struggling to breathe. There was a great deal of pain, but the adrenaline of all that was going on, I wasn't even aware of my injuries. Um, both of my legs were crushed. The left leg was eventually amputated above the knee. My, le- uh, my my back had been damaged, my, my rib cage had been damaged, my lungs were collapsing, my right arm had almost been pulled off, it was severed and all the rotator cuff was torn out and then uh, the seatbelt had cut through me and ruptured all my, um, all my insides. I, I had no idea. All I knew is that my son was crying, I, I had to get to him. And yet that was the moment that I realized no one else was crying, that, um, that uh, Tamara, my wife, and Griffin, my son, um, were gone. And, uh, you know, that was the worst, it was the worst place a man could ever be. I mean, here I am, half the family has passed, I'm aware of it, I'm experiencing it, I can't move, I can't get to my son who's alive. And uh, it was the darkest moment of my existence. In that dark moment, and I only set that up not to be graphic or, or morbid, but to set up the contrast, because it was in that moment 
that um, I felt light come. And, and it might sound strange, but it was as if light rushed to me. And uh, it, 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 it seemed to encircle me and be comforting me in this darkest moment. Now, I can't, there aren't words for how awful this was. I couldn't even speak of it for years, the accident and the death of half my family. I, I didn't talk about this publicly for a decade. Um, it, was, it was just too painful. But when this light came in this dark, dark moment, uh, I, I didn't really grasp what was happening. It's like, wow, I, I, the light came. I seemed to be very comforted. I seemed to be raising above the accident. And um, suddenly I could breathe. There was no pain. Uh, you know, I, 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 in fact, I was, I was wondering what's happening. How can I be okay? How am I okay? And uh, I bring that up for a specific reason, because actually what I believe happened is I was I, I had left my body. Suddenly I was out of the accident scene and in some type of a um, suspended what place of love. There was so much comfort. And yet as I came to terms with, wow, what is happening? Tamara, my wife, who I knew was deceased at the scene suddenly she was there with me but alive and well and beautiful now it, it was interesting to to and i'll share some details which again not to be morbid or graphic she had laid her seat back and was napping when the car crashed and because the seat was laid back she had not been restrained properly and she'd suffered um some severe head trauma which is what took her life but in this scenario, there was no trauma, there was no injury. She was absolutely glorious and perfect and beautiful, but she was communicating to me that I had to go back, that I had to, I, I couldn't stay, I couldn't come with her, I had to go back. And I made a choice in that moment to, uh, I mean, I, I, and I say choice, I mean, here I was looking at the woman I loved more than life, but I knew I had a little seven-year-old son in the backseat of that car. And I made a choice to come back. And Jeff, I don't know if you want to chime in about what you were doing that day or what your scenario looked like. Sure. Um, this, this happened the last day of March, right around the spring equinox, which is a special time of year and a spiritual time of year for me. If you're Christian, you're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. If you're Jewish, you might celebrate uh, Passover. And uh, if you're not religious, you might still celebrate this time of year because of what it represents with regards to the calendar. And so this was a good time of year for me. And uh, I had a lot of spiritual experiences in the emergency department, but I never talked about them except with one nurse who was also very spiritually inclined and kind of pried from me my some of my experiences that I'd had in the emergency department. And that nurse and I were on duty this night on the last day of March. And uh, Jeff had been extricated from his car and taken to a local hospital and then flown to our trauma center in another city 200 miles away. And there was a team of uh, professionals taking care of Jeff. I wasn't one of them. There was, there was other doctors on duty that night, and I wasn't responsible for his care. But this nurse came and got me and told me I had to come to the trauma room. She insisted that I come to the trauma room because she'd been in there already. And she said, she's there. And I said, who's there? 
And she said, his wife, she's there. Well, I knew that Jeff was coming, although I didn't know his name at that time because we'd had radio and telephone contact. We knew who was arriving and when. And uh, so I realized what she was talking about, and I followed her down to the trauma room. And as I went into the trauma room, Jeff was motionless and unconscious on the gurney, and uh, uh, an army of people were taking care of him. And standing in the air above him was Tamara, his deceased wife, whose body was still in central Utah. And she filled the room with glory, and uh, she communicated with me. She expressed her profound gratitude for the care that uh, her husband was receiving. And at that moment, uh, I knew who she was, and I knew who Jeff was, although I'd never met either one of them. And I knew that Jeff would live. Uh, I, I knew he'd lose his leg. In fact, I walked over and looked at his leg, even though I wasn't one of his doctors. And uh, I checked the pulse, and I think I said out loud, he's going to lose the leg. And uh, as I was looking down at Jeff on the gurney, I could see, still see Tamara standing in the air behind me because I could see in all directions at the same time. And her presence was accompanied by a profound flow of knowledge. Uh, and I just, I love such experiences, and I've had several because it reprioritizes your whole life. You see everybody equally, and all the petty things of the world uh, fade into insignificance, and you recognize the value and the, and the, uh, the, the ever-present love of uh, another realm. And so I experienced all that in a few moments with Jeff and Tamara, and then uh, Jeff went off to the operating room, and I went out and uh, finished my shift and went home and never expected to see Jeff Olson again. Mm. Well, and that is definitely not the case because <laughs> you guys have no. forged quite, quite a friendship since then. Um, I wanted to just make two comments before we move forward in, in the story because one of the things that struck me, um, Doc, when I was reading your book there was a part of me that was almost anticipating when you were um, introducing us to Tamara and what you had turned and saw. I think the human part of me was thinking, oh, my God, she's going to be there. He's going to see her crying and upset and worried. And it just also reinforced for me, too, that when you said she was just there and she was beaming and had this gratitude for the care and she wasn't in distress, where sometimes when we're in our human form, we're thinking, oh, my God, spirit's going to be as equally as worried and upset as we are. But it was just the exact, exact opposite of what you had felt coming from her presence. Yes, that's true. Uh, she was perfectly... Uh content with the fact that she knew things were going forward on a divine path. And although there was trouble in a mortal realm, everything was fine from an eternal perspective. And she understood that and it radiated from her being. Right. And Jeff, the other thing that I wanted to um, mention too, before we move forward, and this was also in Doc's book, um, where you shared the experience too, where you had the ability to hold your son in your near-death experience and give him over to God, which I thought was just profound and made me cry. And um, but was hoping that maybe you could also mention or discuss a little bit about that in your near-death experience, and how maybe that also allowed you to come back for your other son. 
Yeah, yeah, and that that uh, thank you for for for. There's so much to the experience. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm this this profound goodbye with, with Tamara, and there, there was emotion in that, and yet she did have this knowing. She was like, "You've." you got to go back. And yet it felt like a choice. It was interesting as I made that choice. I, I had no concept of time. I mean, obviously Dr. O'Driscoll has outlined, you know, I was life flighted and moved around. All I knew is that I'd crashed the car. I had said the most profound goodbye I would ever say. And I actually found myself wandering through this level one trauma center, seeing the patients and the doctors and the nurses and the families of the patients. But I was seeing these, everyone I saw in, in this complete overwhelming love. I mean, and it didn't matter who they were or what they had done or what they hadn't done. I mean, everything from the heroin addict to the saintly grandmother, it's like I was seeing this, these glorious beings. It's as if, you know, it, it was just brand new eyes. And, uh, and I did eventually come to my body, which shocked me. Uh, and that was a, a, a little traumatic thinking, wow, there's my body. I'm here having this beautiful connected experience, which I, you know, it was traumatic for me. It's like, wow, I, I said goodbye. What am I going to do? How am I going to do? But I, I knew that I had to get back in the body. And yet over those months in the hospital and the surgeries, it's as if I had one foot in this realm and one foot in the next um, for a very long time. I'm not sure the door has ever really closed, but to address your question and my little son, and this is uh, difficult as well, because in the accident, what had happened with Griffin, my my toddler boy, his, his car seat had broken up and he'd been thrown from the car. And I was aware of that. And yet at the scene, I thought, where's my little boy? I, I had the knowing that he, he is passed. He is gone, which was like a knife in the gut. I mean, I just, you know, I, I can't really articulate the pain of that, but in these near-death, out-of-body experiences, and it's interesting, I should point out that the most profound things that happened were at the scene of the accident, before I was on morphine or any narcotics, and then the experience with Griffin was at the end of my uh, uh, hospital stay. I, I was off of all the heavy narcotics. I was simply taking some Tylenol. I had moved from ICU to surgical recovery. I was actually in the rehabilitation wing just weeks before going home. And it was interesting because I had just been able to finally roll on my side to sleep. I had laid on my back so long I had rubbed all the hair off the back of my head because of the abdominal injuries and everything that were going on, but they had stabilized that. I mean, I dealt with incredible infections. I had pulmonary andalisms that, you know, the blood clots that would lodge in my lungs. I had been very, very sick, but finally I was feeling better. I was healing and I was able to lay on my side and sleep. And as I slept, I felt that light come again. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the light. Like when I was at the scene of the accident and I felt myself rise above the hospital bed but this time the 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 mist the light the it it it, 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 it's, it dispensed almost like a fog it cleared and I was in the most beautiful place and I I was so elated the only word I can put on it I mean people say heaven or the other side or I I felt as if I was home I'm like I'm home Oh my goodness. And I began to joyfully run. I, I had been a division one athlete in my life and I, I knew with the leg injuries and the back injuries and all that had gone on, I wouldn't be running in this realm, but in that realm, I began to run and it felt so physical. And I was just 
elated. And as I was running, I, I did have the, the, the knowledge or the impression that I wasn't there to stay. And at that point, there was this corridor, and I knew intuitively I was to go down that corridor. I was to make my way down that. It was like a long hallway. And so I did. But at the end of that hallway was a crib. And there was my little griffin sleeping beautifully and peacefully in the crib. And I swept him up, and that felt so physical. It was even confusing. I kept thinking, gosh, if I'm out of the body, how is everything so physical? I mean, I could feel him and the heat of his body when I picked him up. I could feel his rib cage expanding with breasts. I, I, I could feel his body solid against mine, and I even, I even smelled his hair. You know, when you, when you pick up a sleeping child, I thought, it's him. It's him. And I, I was holding my little boy, and I began to weep just thinking, he's really okay. And as I did so, I felt an intense presence come up behind me, something that was so overwhelming and, and, and so powerful and so cosmic. And I, I began to fear. In fact, I had there was so much guilt in me because I had crashed the car. And I began to have those guilt feelings um, of, wow, my little boy is here because I crashed the car. I, I messed up and lost control of the car. Um, you know, I, and, and I, I felt this presence as if I, I knew I'm in the presence of God and I'm in trouble. You know, I, I messed up. I, I had grown up believing that life was a test and God was going to judge me. And, and yet as I held my little boy, I had the thought, I hope somehow I can be forgiven, knowing that he had died in the crash because of my, you know, losing control or dozing off. And as I had that thought, I felt, and this almost felt physical too, I felt these loving arms wrapped around us. And there was the clear message, there's nothing to forgive. Everything is in perfect divine order. And then there was this huge download. It's like just a, I don't know, like a fire hose of peace and truth and knowledge. I saw my life. You know, I, I suppose this would be the life review. I didn't even know what that was called, but I was seeing the episodes of my life. And, and, and I was thinking, oh, that was a mistake. That was, and in those loving arms, there were no mistakes. I, 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 I felt so unconditionally loved. And I was seeing my life as perfect, that everything was perfect. Everything happened exactly the way. And, and this was a big shift for me, exactly the way I had created it. See, I had believed that God did it all and that God made it happen. But in this, in this scenario, I realized that I had created my life and the entire universe had supported it and that Tamara and Griffin had played their part almost like it was a stage of a play that we'd agreed this was going to happen and this was going to be for the expansion of my soul in ways I could never imagine. But there was so much love that everyone supported the expansion of my soul. Wow. And... At the end of it, I, I was given a choice, too, that I could feel angry about my son passing. I could beat myself up and feel guilty for the rest of my life. Or I was given the opportunity, and, and this was communicated not with word, but with just pure energy and spirit. God said, you can give your son back. You can exercise your will and, and literally give your son back to me. And in all that love and peace and beauty, I was able to kiss my little boy and give him back, but then I woke up back in the hospital bed, you know, back to the amputation, the injuries, and the wheelchair, and all that was 
going on, but it was a beautiful, enlightening uh, episode and probably the most profound thing of those near-death or out-of-body experiences. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that part of that story because you've hit on so many different things. And I know many people who go through this, they say there are really no words. When you were talking about that download, um, to me, there's a difference between facts and truth. And that download that you're talking about is just like this knowing, this knowingness that kind of comes over that's really hard to put into factual evidence or words or or things of that sort. But um Gosh, I just think that that's that part of that story is just really important, I think, for people to hear here. So thank you for sharing that. And I know that you had said that it took you about 10 years to really start to talk about this. And, Doc, you were saying you didn't think you would ever you were ever going to see this man again. Um, But that nurse in the ER, her name was Rachel. Isn't that correct? Yes, I call her Rachel in the book. Uh, She she came to me about a month after the accident and she Mind you, she saw Tamara that day as well, and she came to me and said, we have to go tell Jeff what happened. And I was very reluctant. I said, no, I don't have to do anything. You go tell him if you want to tell him. <laughs> but but she was very persistent. And see, I didn't know Jeff had had a near-death experience. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know he was a spiritual person. And so I wasn't inclined to go share my uh, my experience, but she insisted and I went with her and, and she sat at the bedside and began to share some of her experience with Jeff and they began to talk about uh, their experiences and Jeff mentioned his near-death experience at that time and I kind of stood in the corner and listened and nodded occasionally acknowledging what happened and what I'd experienced, but what was interesting to me is as we talked, as they talked I should say, I received uh, a powerful download myself in that the reason for me being there that day in the hospital room wasn't so much for what I was saying on that day, but it was to connect us to the next uh, decades of our friendship and that we would become good friends and share great, uh, many things with each other. And and I didn't uh, uh, talk much with Jeff for another month or two after that, but I'm it tells you how strongly the connection was because I'd left him my cell number so he could reach me. And uh, he got out of the hospital a couple months later. He wasn't well enough to go home, but he was well enough to well enough to go to his brother's house for a short period of time. And I went to see him at his brother's house, and that was the first time we had a real substantive conversation about spiritual things and what he'd experienced. In fact, he disclosed more than he realized or remembered because I wrote in my journal that night about Griffin and his opportunity to say goodbye to Griffin, and he didn't even remember telling me that. But the reason it was such a powerful experience, that first real visit we had together, was I'd been through some really rough times in my life, and I'd had a lot of spiritual experiences in the ER. I'd seen souls leave their bodies at the time of death and communicated with them on other occasions. And that conversation with Jeff that night, while he was struggling to reconcile his experience with what he'd been taught all his life was causing a great deal of uh, psychic dissonance in his life. And I realized that my experiences, I knew how he felt and I knew how to help him. And I wrote in my journal that night when I got home that I knew the answers to his questions. Mm -hmm. And so we became fast friends. And I remember one time sitting down to lunch with him and, uh, I asked him 
I said, when did you become divine? And it echoed back to the experience he just described to you uh, about when he was embraced in the arms of the divine and had a realization not only that he was in the presence of, of a divine being, but that he was divine himself. And it would be given to me on occasion what I should say to Jeff or what I should ask him to help him move through his processing uh, to the next stage. And we'd have these three and four hour lunches where the waiters hated to come back to our table because they wondered if we were ever going to leave. <laughs> and, and we'd just talk and talk and we'd help each other through these spiritual times. Wow. And when- it, was, it was amazing, yeah, if, if I can chime in quickly, because that was the thing in the experience. Not only was I in the arms of divine, I, I felt that I was divine. And if I was, then everyone was. But that didn't necessarily align with my, you know, conservative Christian upbringing. And the early episodes with, with Dr. O'Driscoll, I, I mean, I really, I knew what I had experienced. It was very real to me, but for him to share what he had experienced with Tam, it opened up a safe place for me to say, well, gosh, I experienced this and this. And I, I seriously thought this is a medical doctor. This is a clinician. If I'm nuts, you know, he'll send me, he'll send me to the <laughs> psychiatric ward for evaluation. But he, it was, it was so amazing to be able to share openly and realize I was saved to talk about what had happened and, uh, and then to find in, in Dr. O'Driscoll a friend that could literally listen and give insights to what I had experienced to assist me to make sense of it all. Right. And, and, you know, through this process of you guys meeting each other and sitting down and having these long lunches, uh, were there ever moments that even wowed the both of you with what your experiences were and the sharing that you guys were having that just kind of blew you out of the water? Uh, there were a couple of occasions where we had some pretty powerful experiences. Uh, I didn't know this for 20 years or so, and I wouldn't share it now if I hadn't heard Jeff talk about it publicly on another occasion. But I was impressed one day to take a book that I thought would help him and, and, and take it to him. And, you know, I try to honor these these promptings to do or say or act in a certain way. I feel it comes from a divine place, uh, but I hadn't really appreciated the extent of it. I thought I just had an inclination to taking this book, and he wasn't there when I got there, and I left the book on his uh, doorstep, as I recall. And I, I found out 20 years later that Jeff came home and found the book, and it was exactly what he needed that day because he was literally suicidal. Yeah, and no, that's good. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I, I, that's true. I mean, I, 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 I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea that I had this horrific accident. I had spiritual experiences, and I was okay. But yes, I had the accident. I had profound experiences, but boy, this the struggle. I mean. Here I was in a wheelchair, and I think at that point um, I, I may have been beginning to be fit for the prosthesis, the prosthetic limb to, to learn to walk. But, I mean, I was on my own. My body didn't work. I was so grieved and bereaved in losing Tamara, my wife, and also just Griffin. It, it broke my heart in ways I couldn't imagine. And I was there with Spencer. Spencer was not badly injured in the act. He basically physically walked away from the accident, but emotionally, he had lost everything I had, and in many ways, he had lost his father. And I, um, on that specific day, and this happened from time to time, I thought, what am I doing? He, he's better off without me, a crippled dad. 
and, and, and I, what am I, what am I doing here in this place? Where's all that love, all that light I experienced in the other realm. And it was one of those days where I said, I wanted to go home. I just, I, I can't do this one more day. And, you know, and my, my family did worry about me often because I was dealing with so much and they were, they were amazing the way they surrounded and supported me. But on this day and the doc would have no idea. I thought I can go home. You know, there's that shotgun. I could just end this thing. I could just have it over with and be done. And Spencer would be better off with my brothers, you know, with, with able-bodied men, um, it was a dark day, but that the simple thing, I mean, that's just it. It's the little things in life that are the big things, the kindness of a friend that simply thought of me and left me a book and to open the book and begin to read. There was, there was just messages that brought me down out of that darkness into the reality of, Hey, you know what? You've got to stop focusing on, on what you lost and concentrate and embrace on what you have, you know, what's here now. And, and it was a, a pinnacle moment to really continue healing emotionally beyond the physical injuries and healing. And may was, I ask what the name of that book was? The I book still was, it was called, yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. The title of the book was To Draw Closer to God, I think. That's yeah. exactly right. It was it was a spiritual book. And, and, and there were insights in there that were very useful, but the biggest insight was not the words in the book. The biggest insights were somebody cares, somebody was thinking, and somebody somehow in some crazy way knows what I'm struggling with. I, I, I said, how did you know? And, and it's interesting, Tamara, my, my angels, I have two of the biggest guardian angels in the world. Perhaps Tamara whispered in, in Dr. O'Driscoll's ear. Mm-hmm. Bring a book, do something, you know, and, and, and it, 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 like I say, it's as if the door never really closed. I mean, Griffin, my little toddler boy has come to me in dreams or, or visions. I don't know what you want to call it, but he, he's been a grown, uh, uh, you know, young man. I mean, I, I feel like I have these incredible angels and perhaps that was what, you know, whispered to the doc just to reach out, just to drop that book off or make a phone call. It seems like such a simple thing, but I think those uh, little simple things are what are big from a higher perspective. I was, I was uh, in a habit then and still today of beginning my day asking the question of what can I do to serve somebody else today? What can I do to help someone? And, and it's often amazing how that opens a window to receive communication and direction. I remember on one occasion, Jeff, uh, it, it was probably about nine months or so after the accident. And it was the first time he was well enough to go home. And, uh, he was unpacking the suitcases of his family members, and you can imagine how traumatic that may have been. Mm-hmm. And uh, shortly after, he invited me to have dinner with him at his house, and his mother came to his house and cooked this wonderful meal, and we sat down at the table, and she served us dinner, and then she disappeared, and we started into one of our talks. And we talked for hours, and uh, and at the end of the evening, uh, Jeff asked me to pray for him. He asked me for a blessing. Uh, uh, and see, I didn't know that he was still struggling 
to accept some of the spiritual experiences he'd had, this notion of being forgiven, that everything was in divine order, I didn't realize that he was still questioning that. He was still wondering, he was still struggling with the guilt and everything. I didn't know any of that. But he asked me for this blessing, and I believe in blessings. I believe in the laying on of hands and a lot of other things. And uh, I, he sat in a chair, and I stood behind him and put my hands on his head and began to speak. And uh, and the words came from some other eternal place. And, and in this blessing, uh, Jeff was told that his sins were forgiven. And it was like, it was like uh, God had opened the heavens and said, see, I really did say this to you. You really did experience <laughs> that. And here's a tangible person in your realm to say the words to your physical ears as a second witness that you had the experience. And you can set aside the grief and the guilt and, uh, and there's nothing to forgive and you're fine. Yeah, it was it was interesting from my perspective because I, everything that I mean it was so real. I knew it happened, but there were times like on this occasion that the doc has shared where I thought, gosh, what if you know what if I what if I'm just what if I'm just appeasing myself, you know what what if what if this is a figment of my imagination and I would I would begin to you know to have these feelings of of um, of, of, you know, why, why can't I hold on to what I know? Why can't I hold on to what I experienced? And, and, and yet in this realm, why do I struggle with, but what if, and, and is it my fault? And gosh, look at what's happened and all the people that have been hurt by this. I mean, Tamara's family and my little boy, Spencer, and, and, you know, I, I, I would let my ego, I would let that, that, that mortal part of me just, just tie me in knots where my heart, my spirit knew, no, no, no. You were you were held in the arms of God. You were shown this this uh, this whole thing and how it would play out. But then to have once again a third party, someone who had no idea what was going on in those voices in my head, to to come and do something like that that was a a witness or a another um, inkling of wow, okay, let's get grounded and hold on here and and uh, embrace what you know happened instead of trying to uh, put doubt around it. And um, it, was, it was very useful. And, and it was, you know, it's a journey. I mean, I think, I think one of the things that was big for me is I was always looking outside for that validation. I mean, this is why I struggled for 10 years. I mean, even if, if it was Dr. O'Driscoll, gosh, can somebody validate me? Can somebody help me feel better about me? And, and yet when I finally worked through all these things and got back to what was really happening when I was in the arms of God, and that was love yourself unconditionally. Unconditional love is all there is. When will you finally embrace yourself and love yourself unconditionally? And that's when the healing really began almost a decade after the accident. Wow. And uh, Doc, you talk about in, in the book, and this to me gives a little bit of a real life example, but you, you explained a beautiful metaphor, which I visually saw 
um, just so easily in the way that you described it when you're talking about the veil. And if you can imagine yourself in a dark, you know, in a room where you can still see, but there are curtains and beyond those curtains, if you just move them a little ways, or if you get closer to the curtain, there is this light that permeates, but you can say this way better than I can. But I would love for you to explain like how these communications that you and Jeff had, maybe some of these nudges, um, these downloads, the information that you get from spirit, how we are still uh, very connected to that veil or to that light. And sometimes we're a little bit closer and sometimes we can be a little bit farther away, but that, that veil is always there. I think that the emergency department is a target-rich environment, if you will, for spiritual experiences. And one of the reasons I feel that is because, as you said, I talk about this metaphor I use of being in a room that's a little bit dark and gray. Uh, you can see and you can move around, but it's not very bright. But it's you have on one side this dark, heavy curtain, floor to ceiling, and beyond the curtain is this brilliant, white, glorious light. And on the other side of the room is another curtain just like it and another light on the other side of that curtain. And the way I imagine it is on one side of the room, the curtain draws back every once in a while and a soul enters the room. And if you're there, if you're nearby, you get to experience some of that glory and light while the veil's open before it slams shut again. And I've had many such spiritual experiences associated with birth when that veil's drawn back and a soul enters this realm. And on the other side of the room, if you will, when the veil gets drawn back uh, as somebody leaves this, this existence and goes to another plane of existence. And if you're close by, spiritually that is, um, you might have some of that light spill onto you and experience it for a time. And if you're close enough or if the veil opens wide enough, you might even peer inside. You might even see somebody you recognize from, from this mortal existence. You might even get a message from them. And then eventually the veil falls shut again and we're back in this realm where we're functioning for a time with a limited capacity to see and hear and experience and move. And, and that's kind of how I uh, think about mortality in contrast to the spiritual realms from whence we came and, and where we're going in the future. I love the imagery of... of uh, um, oh, I'm, I'm blocking on his name now. Um, he said, our life is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life star, hath had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar, not in, in utter nakedness and not in entire forgetfulness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. And I just love that imagery because it connects us to who we are. Uh, it's so key that we remember that we're divine beings, that we came from a divine place, and we're going back to a divine place. And the whole purpose of being here is to recognize our identity, not just ourselves, but who everybody else is, so that we can treat them the way they ought to be treated, so that we can love them unconditionally, as Jeff has pointed out a number of times. Mm. That, that's why we're here. And, and in the ER, you have people coming and going all the time, so you get to experience that with, with a few exceptions. And, and one of those exceptions is, if I had been running the trauma when Jeff came to the ER, 
I'm not sure I'd have had my experience because I'd have been barking out orders and I might have been intubating him. Uh, I, he was probably already intubated, uh, but I might have been doing things to sh- try and save his life. And when I'm so busy in the medical, in the, in the earthly, I don't often have the spiritual experiences. But in his case, I had no responsibility for his care, and so I was open to experience it. Right. Right. And I remember you, you uh, described that those different states of being too, when you're doing that work, because really you're, you need to be present, as you said, in the physical, that sometimes accessing that area, it would, wouldn't make you maybe a very great ER doc if you're hanging out with some of the spirits and talking to them and, oh, wait, okay, let me do this to the, to the patient here. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's challenging. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that I'm kind of getting uh, during our talk too, going back a little bit when you were talking about um, asking Jeff, when did you realize you were divine? And, you know, when Jeff had that experience in that conversation with God and, and realizing that he too is the divine, it feels to me that really the both of you, you know, I keep hearing the word messengers, right? The both of you are kind of here doing God's work and are messengers for that love. Have either of you, since you both are kind of removed from the initial accident in this point in time, have the two of you ever looked at each other and said, my gosh, can you imagine if we never told this story, if we never opened up, if we never shared? Because I know that it sounds like that both of you went through your own reluctancy um, to be able to come to terms, to be able to talk about this, to share it. seems like it was very private between the two of you, but really to take this great leap to deliver I feel is one of, you know, messages that God has for us, uh, through the two, through the both of you, you know, have did you guys ever say, gosh, what were we thinking about keeping our mouth shut? <laughs> yeah, we oh. worked through it individually and then somewhat together. Jeff wrote his first book about 10 years down the path and he invited me repeatedly to speak, uh, join him to speak to groups of people. And I persistently declined and then, about 10 years later, I finally, for some reason, felt that it was okay. And I, and I began to share in very limited, cautious ways. And as I began to share, I found that people frequently would come up and share personal experiences and tell me how much it meant and how much it helped them heal. And it, it reminded me of, of Jeff's experience because uh, a decade sooner when he had thought about uh, writing his book, he'd had a very profound experience. He'd been, he, told, he was told that he should share his story and it would help people heal. And so, yeah, we, we kind of went back and forth individually. And then finally, in the last uh, year and a half or so, we, we've started to share it uh, together. And I had a real breakthrough just some months ago when uh, my one of my tutors came to me and he said, every experience is to enable you to help others. And I'd always thought of experiences as being for personal growth and that I could go help other people if I wanted to. And he said, no, no, the primary reason for every experience is to enable you to help others. You get the secondary benefit of personal growth. Now, I don't know whether that applies to anybody else. I just know that's what I was told on that day. And so uh, my existence now, literally, my my personal mission statement is I exist to help souls heal. And, And I don't help them heal their bodies so much in the ER anymore, but I try to help them heal their souls. 
And I know Jeff has gone through a similar journey. I'll let him comment on his yeah. experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I had no intention of ever writing a book. Um, I, I did, you know, over that decade of making sense of it all. And there were ups and downs and everything through it. But, yeah, for me, suddenly I, 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 I did. Um, it, it's like I had seen the sum. You know, I had been in the arms of God. I had seen the sum, but I didn't know the equation. And, and those, you know, those years were about how does this add up? And, and, and as it all came together and it came down to unconditional love and unconditionally loving myself and the healing began, um, it, it was a spiritual thing. But I had had a publisher approach me about writing a book. I, I had no intention. In fact, I told them no at first, but I actually went back to the scene of the accident which I hadn't gone to uh, and, and avoided that area, but I asked. And when I say I asked, I, I prayed. I asked, I asked am, I, am I meant to write a book? And the answer didn't say write a book. When I, when I get these answers, I, I call it the voice that speaks to my heart. I can quote what I was told, and it was, wasn't with words in my ears. It was with that voice that speaks to the core of your being. And I was told, share your experience, and people will heal. And I thought, wow, and, uh, and, and I, am I not about healing? And am I not uh, literally here to, to, to in some way manifest that divine love, that unconditional love and that connection and that oneness that we share as humanity? And so I, um, you know, and so I, I wrote the book. Now, I'm not a writer. I mean, I, 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 I'm a, I don't even type. I'm a two-finger hunt and peck guy. <laughs> But I wrote the I wrote the experience, and it was a healing process for me to share that. And I I figured, well, you know, I was supported by a publisher, but I thought, well, my mom will buy a copy, you know. And and yet, <laughs> the, the the book released it, it it went into the top ten, and then into the top three on Amazon in its category. I was being invited to to speak about it all over the country and all over the world. Eventually it was, it was crazy. I mean, a year ago I was in Amsterdam, Oslo, Norway, London, England, you know, uh, Findhorn, Scotland. It was, I, 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 and I'm shocked, but I'll tell you what, the feedback that's the most valued to me is, is those emails or those letters or cards or however that might come. When somebody says, you know, I read this and it, it changed me or it changed my perspective or I was having a really hard time and this pulled me up out of it. And every time something like that comes in, I say, that's the one. That's the one I that's the one I wrote the book for. I had no idea it would have, you know, such a, um, um, a, a vast um, what influence. Um, but every time it feels individual and, and it, and it feels like it's, it's worth it. So often, yeah, the, the doc and I will sit down and say, wow, how, I mean, I think that's part of the human interest story. How in the world did a, a, a dying man life flighted into a level one trauma center. And now 20 years after the fact, it's like, and my ER doc is now one of my best closest friends. And we are, literally shifting the consciousness on the planet somehow by just <laughs> sharing what we've learned and what happened. Right. Can I, can I add one thing, April? Please. Yes. Um, after I wrote my book, uh, Jeff, uh, arranged my first 
public speaking engagement in, of all places, Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> I said, really, Jeff? Uh, it took me 20 years to talk about seeing spirits, and you arranged my first speaking event in Salem. And he laughed. He said, yeah, it'll be a great day. Oh, and uh, so I had a stack of books uh, fresh off the press in my bag, and I'm sitting in the lounge at the airport, and this young couple approaches and sits down because there was no place else to sit. And they started having this uh, inevitable conversation of where are you going and what are you talking about and uh, when they found out my topic the, the young woman's eyes just lit up and she said my grandfather just died and he's come to me a couple of times and I could just see in her countenance the reassurance of knowing that she was talking to somebody that understood and believed her and, and it was just invigorating I thought isn't it amazing I just met this person and she's sharing such sacred things with me and uh, I told her, it came to me, and I told her, next time he comes, ask him what he wants you to do. And she just, she just grabbed onto that. She knew it was the right thing. And she took one of my books, and her and her husband got on a plane. And I got on a plane to Boston a, a little bit later. And I'd been an emergency physician for 25 years at that point. I, I estimated that I'd seen in excess of 60,000 patients. And on the plane between Salt Lake and Boston, a uh, voice spoke to my heart and said, you will help more people with this book than you helped as a physician in the emergency department. <laughs> and it kind of put into perspective what I'm doing now. My reluctance to share has evolved into I need to share. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I'm glad. And, you know, the other thing that I was thinking was now that you guys are sharing, I feel like, you know, the divine is just going to keep giving you all of this beautiful feedback. Like, yes, you're sharing this and here's all your validation. I'm going to continue to give you more and more and more and more just to continue to fuel you guys. Not that you need any more fuel, but, you know, it just feels to me that your validation in sharing this story and the work that you're doing, um, it, is endless. You, you will, it'll be delivered to you endlessly, you know? I'm, I'm, yeah, I, 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 with I, what Jeff said, I, when I get one email from one person or a Facebook message and, and it, they say how much it means to them to read my book or hear my story. And I, and, and I literally have thought what he just said, if that, if that's the only person, it was worth it. And, and it's just so reassuring and invigorating. Yeah, that's it, it's a beautiful thing. I have a little. I've saved this when I got a uh, it jail mailed a little three by five, you know, card that that they give uh, someone in prison, you know, to write on so it's all monitored. And they, uh, they that that went to my publisher, and then the publisher forwarded it to me. Um, they'd gotten the address of the publisher off the back of my book, but anyway, I mean, to read that and hear, you know, here's a man that's in prison. That 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 in this little hand scratch on the card, I, you know, I, I did this. I understand guilt, but I understand now after reading the book that I have a bigger contribution. That I can, I cannot focus on what I did, but focus on what I learned from what I did and how that can help raise the consciousness of of humanity. And 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 I I, I feel this. I feel like. We're rising in consciousness. You know, the world's changing, and and if I can play some little part in that, that's that's fantastic. Um, and, and in the end, I'm grateful. It's like I'm grateful. I mean, I I I don't know if I'll ever say, oh, I'm glad the crash happened. I'm not. I mean, it it, it was devastating. 
But when I look at what I've learned from it and where it's brought me and from a higher perspective, I, I literally do. I, I say, wow, there is no death. I have angels and we're here to make a difference. And we're going to do the little things every day that become the big things to just bring us all back into that oneness that we are. I mean, what I experienced, that's reality. You know, this is the crazy dream about by maybe bringing some of that reality or light, as, as Dr. O'Driscoll talks about, the veil opening. That's where we'll come to um, to peace and to love, and it'll be a beautiful thing as it all unfolds. Yes, beautifully said. And, Jeff, you know, I feel like someone in this type of accident coming out with these injuries, you would think that um, some people may think that your life would be so small. You know, what what does he really get to experience? And it feels like your life got a whole lot bigger. (laughs) You know, as you said, you were traveling here, there and everywhere. It's like, it's amazing to think of where you are in, in all the places that you're going, where you have been. And I just think that it is beautiful, the lives that you are touching. I'm so glad that, you know, we are able to get your story out. I am really excited to meet you guys in person. I just, you guys are all heart and my heart has been exploding for like this whole hour. And I just can't wait to give you guys a hug. (laughs) And I'm I'm so excited. So I'm going to run up to you and you're going to get a big old April hug when I see you guys. But um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll hug you right back. All right. (laughs) I love that. All right, guys. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, too, is sometimes people get uh, hung up on their their near-death experience, and they talk about it uh, over and over, and they never really re-engage with life. And one of the, one of the fun things, uh, exciting things about working with Jeff Olson and, and speaking together is he, he's incorporated it into his life and is all about moving forward. And how can I use this to help other people? How can I take what I've learned and enrich other people's lives? And so when we go out and we speak to people, we don't, we try not to just rehearse what happened or what we experienced, but we try to share with them, how is, how can this help you? What, what did, what can my experience and what I learned be useful to you to be more spiritually centered and get more connected with your your purpose in life. And I think that is really the most important take home for our listeners too. It doesn't even matter what their experiences are in life, like you were talking about, how can they begin to look at it as a way that they can help others heal through their own stories, whatever that story may be. So, guys, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be here with us. And, again, I just want to remind people that you guys are going to be presenting at the Afterlife Awareness Conference 2019 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, Theirs is going to kick off on this Saturday. It's uh, June 8th, 9 a.m. That will be a part of the live stream. And we are going to give our listeners a 10% off discount code. And that is going to be podcast 10. You can go ahead and go to path11productions.com. Click on the Afterlife Conference to register for your live stream membership and put in that code and you'll get some money off. So Thank you guys again. We're looking forward to seeing you, live streaming you, meeting you in person, and uh, just keep sharing the story. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's tragically beautiful, I guess you could say, right? There's the tragedy and the beauty all meshed together, the the beautiful and the ugly of life, yet it comes out so (laughs) yummy. So 
there's, there's, there's beauty. There's beauty in everything. There's there beauty is. in everything if we're open to seeing it. And Salt Lake City is beautiful. I mean, what a what a fantastic city. So yeah, come and come and be with us in June. It'll be fun to spend time together. All right, will do. Thank you guys. Thank All you. Right. Take care. Yep. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four day, four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out of body experiences and life changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends. That was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people Uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. (music) 